you know we are all gathered here for Atari. So we are here to talk about her it's debut, right? Yeah. It's a debut book. And maybe we should start with the summary of your book and then we can take it from there for people who have not read it, just so that they get a better sense of what the book is about. Oh, I'm reading the summary from the back, so there are no spoilers here. Also, I just want to say that this is a live recording on our podcast. Everything that we do here would be live on our podcast. If yeah, this is a message to you, <laughs> just so that you don't say something you're not supposed to say. <laughs> okay, do us the honors of reading the summary of the book. For okay, us. sure. Asia Abdullah has it all, but still her heart is restless. She yearns for a closer relationship with her mother and friends who truly care about her. When a single mistake forces her into the grasp of a successful, powerful, and wanted man, Asia's life is thrust into a dark and violent world, hidden behind the glittering walls of a mansion. Villa has long since given up the idea of escaping. Five years have been stolen from her, and with little to go back to, she obediently serves as a maid to the master of the house. Lila knows she's a, she's a shell of herself, and sur surrounded by people she cannot trust, but with nowhere as a home for her heart, what else can she do? When the two girls' paths converge, their worlds shatter. Okay, thank you so much. So I have had the opportunity to read this book, and... I can say just a quick summary in my head is it's about two young ladies now i know that we don't get to see or we don't get to hear a lot of uh, muslim women's stories on the market yeah. especially on the Ghanaian market so i'm really happy that we are able to write this book but then let's start with how you felt when maybe the publishing journey let's talk about the the feeling you had when you realized that this book was going to be real it was going to be books that people could touch feel and read what described to me exactly how you felt so it actually felt unreal until the release date okay yeah so when i signed my contract when i was doing the editing all those times it felt like a dream actually it was like it was a joke and then it was release day and then i got my copies and i was like so it's actually happening yeah yeah but so how i was very very happy how long ago did this start i mean the entire process um a year ago yes i think i signed my contract in february or march i'm not sure I've forgotten. okay of last year okay so it's, it's been about a year or more. Okay. so just so um kasaru is actually the funny thing is that Kataru is a bookstar grammar. We've always known her as a bookstar grammar. She's always been our, our mm. bookstar grammar. And then suddenly I saw her writing. And in fact, I'm very honored to have shared the same magazine with you. My mm. publication for the Writers um, Space Africa. Africa. Yes, yes, we shared. That was the first time I saw Kataru write. And I was like, oh, yeah, this girl is so good. She's She's a beautiful writer. That's what I told myself in my head. But could you just talk to us about writing this book? Was it hard? Okay. Was it easy? Because I don't want to spoil it for anybody. There are a lot of emotional aspects to this book. Mm -hmm. It's actually a lot when you, when you like finally get your hands on the copy and you read. But was it hard or was it easy writing this book? 
I think I would say a little bit of both. Some parts were easy, like the less heavy part. Oh, explain to us the <laughs> less heavy part. <laughs> the 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 parts that did not hold a lot of trauma. Okay. Those parts were very very easy to write, but then the parts that held a lot of trauma that were heavy, I had to constantly take breaks. Like, mm. I write like a page and then I have to take it for like a week. Oh, and, then, <laughs> and then I'll just spend my time watching sitcoms and stuff. I know. Yes, to feel better. And then I'll resume. So yes, I would say a little bit of both. I mean, I know I'm not supposed to ask this question because writers hate it when you start asking them at what point does the their fictional the fictional life intersect with their personal life? Would you please talk to us about your characters, Asiya and then Lila. Is it Lila or Leila? It's Lila. Lila. Okay. So at what point does the your your person so at which point in the book can we find you in the book? Or oh, this is so not you. This is like people you built from scratch without even your personal experience in there. Okay, I think the only part I can say I can find myself in is the part that talks about Islamic prejudice. Mm. Yes, that I have experienced constantly. I'm still experiencing it actually. And it's good. So, yes. It's mm. good you actually mentioned Islamic prejudice. I yes. mean, this is something that when I was in the boarding school, I saw my friends who were Muslim go through it. Mm. But I never knew it had a name. Like, you know, you see something happen to somebody and you just think, oh, it's okay. I mean, it's okay that it's happening. And then somebody writes it and it has a name in the book. It has a description. Now you can see that whatever you were laughing about or the entire situation that you thought was funny or there was nothing wrong with it actually does exist. Mm -hmm. So I want to read this part. I don't know if you'd like to read this for us or I want to read this part. Oh, you can read it. Because this is a part that actually got to me about Islamic prejudice. I mean, I didn't even know something like that existed but then. So this is from page 12. And then it says this. That afternoon, when I got home, she sat me down. And this is um, a conversation between Asiya, no, that's Lila. Lila and her mother. So that afternoon, when I got home, she sat me down to tell me that this was the way of the world. You were treated with disdain and ostracized for being different. You suffered and worked hard at being seen, but you were still a non-existent entity in people's life. Just a speck that can be thrown away with a flick of, of a finger. Those who look on you only saw the things that made you different. Your place was an afterthought of people and was always worthy of things demeaning. The world didn't want to hold space for people like you, but you had to, you had to live for yourselves. So talk to us about your prominent theme, Islamo prejudice. What made you consider writing this in the book and what is your experience with Islamo prejudice so um i i just knew i had to write about it because well like you said people don't even know it's a thing like people think it's normal but then it's not so i just felt if i do write about it then people will know that this is what muslims also go through Okay. How did you yes. also want your readers to feel reading the 
bit about the Islam of prejudice? I just wanted them to be aware. Mm. Yes. And also, if they will, put themselves in our shoes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean... So, next time someone has a comment like that, you know not to laugh. Because it's not funny. True, 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 true. I mean, and then it goes on. When you read the book, so I, I speak about the fact that there are two Muslim characters. And then she goes on to talk about the fact that they are not forced to wear or even dress as the religion demands. Yes. And that's something that in our heads, we, we see Muslim and we think, oh, this was just, it's almost like we are following a line. But her book, her book will actually make you appreciate what Muslim girls or what Muslim women go through, how it's just even love to pray for them. They, because I, I was reading um, Asiya's part. Was it Leila? Their voices are so similar, so it keeps confusing me. I was reading her and I just, when she's going through so much, she would pray first. And she, even though she was going through so much, she just found joy in unfolding her mat and saying her prayer. So yes, thank you so much. I mean, it made me consider these things. Let's also talk about another theme. And let's look at parenting. Or let's look at motherhood in this book. We meet Amira. Yes, Amira. Right. Which is Asiya's mother. Yes. Yes. In the book, we realize that she's broken. She's she's a mother who is present but absent. She's a mother who is there, yet she's not there at all. So I want you to talk about Amira's character. What inspired you to write Amira's character? So basically, postpartum depression. Mm. Yes, and um, the book started off as a short story, right? So as I was trying to develop it into a novel, I was like, I can't just give her postpartum depression. Like it has to be more than that. Like it has to be deeper than that. Because it wouldn't make sense if she's like that from something that happened years and years ago. Yes. So I had to you know, give readers the whole package. Yes. So depression, anxiety, mm. OCD, all that. Yeah. 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 Also, was it emotionally draining to write Amira's part? Yes. So that was what I meant by the heavy parts. I couldn't write them continuously. I had to take breaks constantly and then return when I felt I wasn't. So let's talk about the book, the cover, actually. One of the things that caught my attention is the fact that there are two Muslim women, one, one on the... Now you can point to me who is Leila and who is, who is Leila and who is Asiya. <laughs> Maybe if you can, you can help me differentiate. So that's Leila, that's Asiya. This is Mila. Yes. Oh, I was thinking this is Asiya. See, mm. it's very good I have the author here today. <laughs> so, um, it talks about Muslim women. And I want you to talk to me. And then the flower thing. Yes. Maybe you, you can tell me what it means. So, I think it was just a design thing. And also, I don't know if, no spoiler. <laughs> but then, um, when they were trying to escape, yeah. yes, the vase... Mm. I know. Now we cannot even tell you. We can't tell you because we'll be spoiling it for you. So I'm very sorry. I'm very sorry. Okay, now I, I get what it means. Maybe if you buy a copy, you'll be able to understand what she said. She said the base. So when you get there, you see the base. You understand what it means. 
representation matters. We both know, you and I know that, especially since you're on Instagram, mm -hmm. you understand that rep representation is everything. What motivated you to write about Muslim women? First of all, I am a Muslim woman. <laughs> so I feel like it's, it's easier to write because it's my experiences that way. And also because there, there are not really any books about Muslim women, especially in Ghana. For West Africa, you can find some, mm. but they are rare. But then in Ghana, I have not heard of or seen anyone who has written a book about Muslim women. Even Muslims in general, I haven't. So then I decided to just represent Ghanaian Muslim women. Okay. Has anybody, okay. have you ever read any Ghanaian novel on Muslim women? No. Has anybody? I haven't even seen one. Or oh, maybe before. the closest would be changes. Fusena's um, character in Amatai, those changes. Yeah. That would be the only one, maybe from my wildest guess. That's like, has anybody read anything? Ghanaian Muslim woman. Okay, that's fine. Without giving any spoilers. And mm. I say this because <laughs> I don't want you, Roberta, you read a book here. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Oh, before okay. you. I, I won't spoil it. I'm trying so hard. So without giving any spoiler, let's talk about our two main characters, Asiya and Leila. These two women are in a very dark situation. And when I talk about dark, we talk about kidnapping and capturing women. And the what it drew me to was the fact, was the Takwadi girl story. I think that's the first thing that came to mind. And even though it was on the news and it was out there and it was everywhere, it never felt home to me until I actually read this book and I realized, oh yes, this is actually happen happening. So talk to me about you writing about kidnapping women and narrowing it down to Muslim women. What inspired that? What inspired the whole idea of writing about women being captured? Okay, so um, the women that are kidnapped are not only Muslim women. Yes. Yes. But then the thing is that when, usually when we hear stories about kidnapping, like, oh, this person has been kidnapped, those people have been kidnapped, it's like the police follow it for a while. Mm. We are trying to find them. And then in about three months, you don't hear anything mm. again. But then every year, when it's around Christmas, we hear parents telling their kids, like, don't go here, don't go there, you could get kidnapped. So, yes, and the whole thing about child trafficking, mm. yes, a child or even a young adult being forced away from their home, living in bondage, serving people they would rather not serve, it's not a very pleasant situation. Yes. So I just wanted to you know, bring people's mind to this particular issue that it actually happens, even though sometimes it happens and then you feel sorry for the victims yeah. and their families. And then after a while, everything goes back to normal. Nobody remembers them. Everybody forgets them. Um, what genre will you put your book in? It's Contemporary hard. fiction. It, it's actually very hard. Because um, this is something that I struggled with, with my mm. publisher. We yeah. actually had a meeting, like several meetings, actually. 
should we say it's adults, young adults, yeah. new adults? We were confused. Yeah. <laughs> or is this a trailer? <laughs> yeah, because it, we were confused. It, it's like, like again, trailer. I was, like, I was like new adults, and they said that new adults is still not a thing. Mm. Like people say, there's something called new adults, but then if you go to a bookstore, like a huge bookstore, you barely see anything called new adults. Okay. It's usually young adults and adults. I understand. So then it was like adults, young adults. <laughs> I mean and then we we decided to settle on young adults because they are young women. They are young women. Yes. Wow. And for I can't I really can't say and it the thriller bit because yes, because it has aspects of that and then also it's like domestic fiction mm. social commentary there are so many categories yes for the so book. i think when i was on submission when it was on submission i just clearly said it was contemporary fiction i mean i didn't specify because if you ask me You've really, really worried me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't intend to worry you today. Because I was reading, I was like, wait, where am I going to put this book? Like, what genre mm-hmm. am I going to put this book in? Because, you know, some people read books by genres. And if you say, oh, this book is a romance, that's the only thing that will make them pick it up. If you tell somebody that this book is a YA, that's the only mm. thing that will make them pick it up. So I was like, what do I tell somebody who wants to buy this book? Like, what genre am I going to put it in? Do you understand? So maybe that's why I asked you that question. But let's talk about um, Asiya and Leila's. Let's talk about their meeting. So these women are in a very dark situation and they meet and then they become from strangers to friends. And you write it in such a beautiful, touching way. I felt, you know, it's hard for people to bond when they find themselves in captivity. Because we are both in a dark situation. How do we find ways to get out of this situation? But then how do we build sisterhood? Mm-hmm. But then that's something you did with the book and with the writing. Talk to us about Asiya and Leila's character meeting. And what it meant for the story and then the plot. So I think for Asiya, she hadn't really had any friends up until mm. that point True. in her life. Well, she had had friends, in quotes. So not actual, actual friends. But then people that she knew. But she never felt like she belonged with them because she didn't see them to be true friends of hers, right? So... um. After she, I was about to give a spoiler. Oh, please. But, um, let me skip that. Mm-hmm. So when she saw that Lila was actually someone she could form a genuine friendship with, she welcomed the idea. And I think that was a huge part of her growth as a character. Mm. Because before, because she didn't have any friends, she was actually opposed to the idea of having friends. Yeah. Yes. But then this time she welcomed it and then they grew to become more than friends, they grew to become sisters. And for Lila, she had friends. But then, um, unfortunately, she's about to give the spoiler. Take her time. You know. Take her time, take her time. (laughs) Unfortunately, they happen to be in different Mm -hmm. parts of the country. Okay. Yes. So um, she was alone, and where Lila lived, 
it was really really hard to form friendships because it was like survival of the fittest you can't form friendships here because there are snitches around and stuff so meeting asia and then getting to know her and then you know sharing their grief and all that i think for her too it was a very very beautiful aspect of her friendship because she she wanted friends she like she wasn't opposed to the idea of friends she wanted friends and for her to meet someone and then to step out of her comfort zone you know she she was always so alone she barely talked to anyone yeah but then to meet someone to befriend the person to be visiting the person to talk to the person about what she truly truly feels it was a very very big part of her character before we move on you would have to tell us i mean we are all sitting here we know there are puppies behind us but this is for the podcast so you'd have to tell us where we can find copies um, available in Accra, where we can buy copies, and then the price for the copy. Yes, yeah, so you can buy copies here at City Reads and then Word Place, and then you can also buy from me. Yeah. But then I'm in Kumasi, so you know if you're in Accra, it's better if you buy here. Okay. And then a copy is one eighty, hundred and eighty Ghana Yes. I mean this is really good. Let's talk about um the characters that were in the book, the other very minor, I wouldn't call them minor, but they played a very important role in the book. Let's start with the doctor who would see Amira when she was going through the the kind of pain that she was going through. Then let's talk about the private investigator. And then let's talk about um, the man um, Asiya was dating. Asad, good. So that's three. So now we are talking about yeah. three characters and what they meant to the storytelling in the book. So for the doctor, um, I don't know if anybody else here is aware, but then mental health has a stigma in Ghana. Like if if you have your issues, you you are better keep it private. I mean, yes, because if someone hears, let's say it's not really really serious, like some mild depression that's fine but then if it's serious like you throw temper tantrums you know you pass out things like that you have to keep it secret because if someone finds out she's sick she's sick like that so for her to have a doctor visiting her home giving her medication and all that i was just trying to put it out there that mental health is not bad right and seeking help is actually the way to go yes and for the investigator for him i would say that investigating the whole issue was personal first of all because it was his friend's daughter yeah and second of all because he just didn't like to lose yeah yes he wanted to win and the fact that this guy was evading capture, mm-hmm. it stressed him. Yeah. It frustrated him. Like, who are you? Like, what at all are you? How am I not able to find out who you are? So, yes, for him, it was very personal. And in the end, when he was not the one who brought him forward to the mm. authorities. That's a spoiler. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> 
it really hurt him. It really hurt him because he wanted to help his friend, and also because he didn't want to lose to someone he deemed less intelligent than himself. And Asiya's boyfriend. Yes. yes. Um, I would say that he played a role of um, a listener. Okay. Yes. She had that bond with him that when she was in captivity, she thought about him. She worried about him. Mm. Yes, especially when... I'm very sorry. Ah, she's about to when, give another friend. <laughs> when, you know... I mean, threatened him. Yes, yes. So, and he was worried if, if you know, for some people, they would be like, well, she has been kidnapped. Mm. What can I do about it? But then he was actually very, very worried yeah. about her. That shows yeah. how much he cared about her. He visited her home. He tried to help with the investigations. Yeah. And even though he was targeted, he still didn't move away from her yeah. and her family. Okay, so I would like to take a reading from you, from any part of the book, then we can continue with that. So, Amira slunk around the house, avoiding places her daughter had frequented, like her room, the seat in the kitchen Asya often took for meals, or her lounging place on the sofa as she scrolled on her phone. To forget her troubles for a short while, Amira resumed cleaning. She cleaned every corner of the house almost every day, except Asya's room, and cooked more meals than the family could eat. She delegated the tasks to Aisha and Zainab, who, despite their unwillingness, did it anyway. They didn't think they could handle their mother if they refused to. The least sound caused her to jump and have outbursts. Whenever she was alone, she wallowed in distorted and disturbing thoughts about herself. Her mind kept taking her to the year she felt a part of her die. Each time the event started playing out in their sequential order, she grabbed a broom or dashed to the kitchen. Of course, she kept this from her husband. She was at a loss on how to tell him that her past was knocking on their door louder than ever before. In her moments of wellness, she pitied him. He would break if she told him. Even if, she, even if he never showed it. Almost everything in the house was now a portal to the intrusive thoughts and gut-wrenching memories. Harif implored Dr. Davis to make his visits regular. Amira's episodes were dormant, but he could feel his wife slipping away even more. He didn't know how to talk to her about it without her having more breakdowns, so he left the task to the doctor. Despite trying hard, Dr. Davis couldn't get through to her. She insisted she was fine, even when her lip crumbled, crumpled while saying it. The nightmares were the absolute worst. It took a lot of a lot of it took a lot for her to stumble into sleep. And the moment she did, beads of sweat gathered on her face and body, wetting her dress. The faces were the same. Faces she had tried hardest to forget all these years. They beckoned to her, dark holes in place of their eyes, then a rip in her body and a blood curdling cry of a baby. She always woke up when the baby cried. 
her hands flying to her mouth and her eyes watering while she found her husband snoring gently beside her. She had the urge to shake him awake and cry lying on his chest, but she refused to give in. Her mind went to what would have happened the next day after the baby's cry, and she shuddered despite the warm room and the sweat sticking to her skin. This cross was hers alone, and she wasn't going to let Harif carry it. The following day, she was seated with Harif and their children in the living room, when Asya's own new slippers appeared in her line of view. Her vision blurred, and their faces returned, this time with their real eyes. They faded out, and she saw Asya's face. Thou rose and spread in her chest and throat, rushing her to the bathroom on the ground floor. Aisha and Zainab exchanged knowing and doleful glances as their father dropped the newspaper he was perusing and went after her. He found her huddled in the left corner of the bathroom, close to the toilet. The moment he got there, her chest heaved and she gave the toilet seat, emptying the contents of her stomach again. She wished the contents of her nightmares would join those of her stomach in the toilet. I'm a terrible mother, a horrible person. I don't deserve to live, and I don't deserve you, any of you. No, no, you are sweet and kind. The best mother our, our children could ever ask for, Harissa too. You did what was best for her, remember? That's what a mother does. You are the love of my life and my wife. You deserve us, and you deserve to live. No. Yes, Amira. Harif rubbed her back and made soothing sounds while she wiped her mouth again and again, desiring that nightmares be wiped away. She dissolved into a puddle of salty hot tears, and Harif couldn't hold it in any longer. He cried, his face nestled in her disheveled hair as their bodies wrapped. I mean, let's open this for questions. Okay. Since they've not, they've not read, this will be hard. But I mean, any question at all? Yeah, here to take any question. Before she does the next reading and the next set of questions. Any question at all? I mean, you've read, I'm, I'm sure some of you have read her work even before this. And you know how she writes. How many publications so far? I mean, short, um, short stories of no, online magazines. Poetry. Poetry, yes. Yes. So how many so far? So two so far. But isn't it funny that she started off as a poet? <laughs> it is. I mean, when I saw the whole book, I was like, this is going to be a poetry collection. That was my hope. I was like, oh, we're going to get a poetry collection just for me to be disappointed. Oh, you will. But will I get the poetry collection? Uh -huh. I will. Uh -huh. That's interesting. So how many have you done so far? Where do we find your poetry collection? For people who are um, interested in reading. So, Writer's Space Ghana. Yeah. And then... Tadisa. Tadisa. Yes. So I have three in Tadisa and then one in right hand. So I read something like this book. It was going to be a retelling of her beauty. Her beauty. Yeah. So I read But then basically, Beauty and the Beast, there's a kidnapping, right, of sorts. And then there's 
Please just see them. I mean, I but didn't yes, know. they are similar. Yes. Wow, I, I didn't know that it was a weed selling. I, I read it. It's, it's like a weed selling. Oh, okay. Yes. Now it's making sense. Now I can yes. see the bigger so picture. You see why I couldn't explain where the <laughs> flowers were coming from. Okay, go ahead. See, with the show, there was this part where Bella stole the rose and got angry and all so i kind of like link the connection that um it could be something from the the show and uh, with the book that's why i asked about the similarity so that scene in particular has nothing or yes there's no scene yeah. linked with the show in this book but then other scenes yes i mean yeah any more questions but did you intend for it to become a retelling or no Oh, not at all. So it was when people read it that it. I think um it was part of um. You see, when you said it's hard to place it in a particular genre. Yeah. Yes. So the whole retelling thing was to help us with the sales, like okay. to market it. I understand. I understand. Because how do you explain this thriller, but then it's not fully thriller. Yeah. And then there's also social commentary, but it's not all that. And yes, so yeah, I guess yeah. any more questions? Sounds good. Yes, Roberta. Um, I want to say that I'm really excited about reading your book because I've read your poetry and you are really amazing at it. Well, from <laughs> from the excerpts you just read, I want to know how you approached um, the issue of partners helping. Let, let me specifically say male partners helping their female partners when they are going through a depressive state or you know like a hard phase because we know males usually keep to themselves and women we try to come out of our show when we are going through stuff so how did you approach it or was there a part in your book where you actually focused on the husband's emotions during the time she was experiencing what she was experiencing? So I didn't really focus on his emotions like for like a full scene or something. But then I just incorporated it into her scenes. Yes, so whenever she was having an episode, he was there for her. Mm. And in the beginning, he was keeping his emotions down, like controlling it and everything. But then later, he became overwhelmed and even he couldn't control his emotions any longer because it was his wife was in pain and then his daughter too was somewhere else. <laughs> Welcome. Any more questions? I mean, before we go on to... Yes. Have you read the book? Um, <laughs> is it something that like um, came up to you just this year or you've been planning this for like so many years and then did you experience any writer's blow whilst writing this book? Okay, so um, I wrote this in three months. Huh? <laughs> you know when we say people have talent? When Nasiba says people can write, you know people can write. Some people take 10 years to write one book. Yes, I started in 2021. Like, I finished in December. 
yes so i started in like october there and i finished and then i used january to edit and by the end of january i was done and then i submitted it in february <laughs> Sorry. i'm too short yes and then i submitted it in february so before this before i wrote the novel around august of 2021 it was a short story i don't know if anybody here read it but then it was a short story in which publication i published it from my website oh, okay yes and people liked it and then they were like oh it ended abruptly and they wanted more blah 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 so i just decided to write a novel okay yes so it didn't really take long the journey so the the idea came to me randomly i don't remember what i was doing when i got the idea but then it was a random idea mm -hmm. and then i decided to and fun fact that was also my first short story that i wrote ever wow. yes <laughs> <Prior to> that, <laughs> i had been trying to write novels since i was a teenager but i never really finished them i'll reach like chapter 20 then i'm bored i won't continue then i'll start another one that was the cycle over and over again and then i wrote my first short story it's the title was asia oh, so it was okay. just hair it was just hair and then i wrote that and then i was like okay let's see if i can write it into a novel and actually finish it this time and i did but did you go through any rejection phase for this? Oh, yeah, I did. Oh, you did? <laughs> you know, she didn't speak about that part. So I thought it was like a smooth I ride. Did. So yeah. um, I did. I, I submitted to publishers mm -hmm. at the same time. Like several about how many? at the same time. About how like many? Five. Okay. In West Africa. Okay. I didn't try. I wanted to see how it went to the West African publishers before okay. trying the Western know. ones. Yes. So I tried names usually for the West African ones. Usually the Nigerian the Nigerian of ones. That's where we all want to publish. Yeah. Um, I think I tried Masobe, I tried Farafina, yeah. I tried um Kuramo. Okay. I tried narrative landscape. Of course. And then I tried another one. I don't remember. Mm. Because they're not well known like that. Okay. Yes. So after I think I got three rejections from them and then i was waiting for the other two and then i met my publisher or found them on twitter oh wow how do you yeah. find your publisher on twitter <laughs> how so maybe they're using twitter wrong yeah. 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 that, that's basically it okay so they were seeking they were seeking like submissions manuscripts and i was like okay let me try and i did Wow! <laughs> like wow! <laughs> How to use it? Was, it was like very, very random. Like <laughs> no, seriously, because how have you been on Twitter? And you are just like waiting for submissions and, and yeah. So, how, what was the process like? The editing phase, um, back and forth between. Was it a hard edit for you or was it just a smooth ride as well? It was very hard. Mm. I don't like editing. Nobody <laughs> likes editing. Nobody has editing. Editing is so hard. Yes. So, yes, I think um, when I submitted it before, it was like 4.5k words. And then after editing, I got 5k and more. Hey, 50k, sorry. So, 50. sorry. 45k. 45k. I'm sorry. Yes. 
So okay. yes, and then after editing and everything, I got fifty plus. Fifty plus words. Fifty k. Fifty k. Okay. Yes. So editing, I think we went through like five, six rounds, rounds of editing, and it was hard. Like they would tell you change this, change that, add a different scene, change this mm. scene, introduce another scene. It was stressful. <laughs> I, I didn't like it. I didn't but enjoy it. But was there all. any particular part of the story you were so adamant you did not want to change it? You you told your editor, no, I'm not touching this part of the story because I think it's very important to the storytelling. Yeah. A mirror story. So and um, they wanted to shift it somewhere else. Mm. Yes. They thought it would be better if you know give more shock value. If okay. it was placed somewhere else mm. and i didn't agree we went back and forth and then we settled on a place that would not change things the way i didn't want them and also would provide enough shock value yes i wasn't looking for any shock value actually like i don't mind if you anticipated the ending yeah i don't mind but then they were like oh it's it's it would be nice for people to not see that coming and mm. then boom it will happen and they'll be surprised and yes so okay do we have any more questions before she does her next reading anything at all roberta your title i'm very curious how yeah. how did you come to this conclusion i think it's a very beautiful title by the way thank you my clients so, <laughs> <laughs> I was looking for my boss. It was like a video call, and I was telling him, Oh, I'm going on a break, and I'm going to be doing this. He said, Oh, the cover is beautiful, and my dress is a creative director, so he did the cover. Yeah, it is beautiful. And he also brought my attention to the fact that he said that sounds very good. So, how did you, you know, get scared? Okay, so the original title was Home. Just Home. Yeah. Just Home. And it held double meanings because for both of the main characters, Asia wanted to go home and Anila was looking for a home, not a particular home, but then a home somewhere she would feel safe. Right? So I settled on home. And then while editing, my publisher said we should look for other options so there were various options i don't remember any of them but then yes some has to do with beauty and the beast ah. like yes they wanted to incorporate that in the title too but i wasn't really feeling any of them and then when i was going through the book for like the thousandth time <laughs> and i came across um some parts where Lila said that right now, even though she does not have the home that she wants, she hopes for it, right? And it's like, it's just a silhouette for mm. her. So it just clicked. <laughs> so I, I, I sent them an email saying we should use a silhouette of home. And they said they would think about it. And then the next day, I was just playing around with the title and I was like, oh, the silhouette sounds better. So I just send that to them and then that was yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, that's good.
So we'll have our next round of reading and then okay. we'll see where we go with it. I think I want to read about the villain. Okay. Debayo hated sloppiness, but he was getting sloppier by the day. It had started with Ben, and now he was unintentionally leaving trails of blunder after blunder. Trails that were drawing the investigator called Jude close to him like blood called Shreshak. From his investigations of the man, Jude wasn't a talker. Debayo was scared of dangerous-looking men who didn't talk much, and it was why he was starting to panic. He had seen the most grotesque things under the sun and the earth, but never panicked. He had done the most unthinkable things, but he never flinched while doing them. That was the crux of his power in people's eyes. But this time round, the predator was terrified of being hunted because Jude knew Debayo would go after Assad. He was lucky Ben finished the job in other ways. Smart man. Though stupid for the messy job with Assad. All his men were trained to embrace their deaths if push came to shove. Nobody could know who he was. After Ben, there were two more botched jobs, two more attempts at putting that silly fiancé in, in the ground. The love-struck man was proving how to kill, hard to kill. During the second attempt, his man had been a buffoon. He was gloating, telling you to stop protecting Asad, seeing as his woman was about to get married. The oath even mentioned Debayo's name, but that was as far as he could get. He seemed to have remembered to kill himself in place of Asad if things went awry and did that. The third was better. Good man. He didn't step out of his car when Jude ordered him to, and he fired at a police officer. Before Jude could stop the other officers, they rained bullets through him. Debayo could blame all his, his men all day and punish them, but he could also sense when the tide was shifting against him. Someone might call it the will of God, but he didn't believe in God, so he laid the blame for these mistakes on himself. Now, the only thing the sure-footed investigator needed was a location. Not that Debayo could sit and wait for a bunch of cowards dressed in uniforms led by a dangerous man to come and get him. He would do the job himself. There were vials of poison hidden in his office for such an emergency. He wouldn't forget everyone in his service either. He'd pull them into the earth with him. He had to protect his friends. Or even in death, they would find ways to kill him. He wanted so badly to do away with the girl's fiancé, but he would be an idiot to attempt a fault. For the first time in years, he wasn't sure what to do next, and he could feel the unrest coming from his men, even while in Morocco. Dubai was itching to go home. Things would be better if he did, and if he couldn't try again with the fiancé, he could go for Jude's head. Nobody got to frighten him and certainly not some puny investigator. He called T-Bone. He had initially wanted to send him on assignments, but he had some reservations. T-Bone was his right-hand man, and even though there wasn't a soul he trusted and relied on fully, he found he couldn't let him go. 
The damage would be worse if it were T-Bone in a situation against Jude. And he was right. T-Bone would put up a fight before killing himself, but there was a chance he would still be gone. Debayo couldn't risk it and found that he was disgusted with himself for being so dependent on the man. T-Bone answered. Debayo skipped pleasantries and went straight to the point, like always. I'll be returning home soon. Tell the boys. I need to rein things in before they get out of hand. Things were already out of hand. He knew it. He knew it was probably the same thing going through T-Bone's mind. But he had to maintain an air of control. Got it, sir. Should I send someone else? Someone better? No, he said too hurriedly and too strongly. He paused and continued. We can't risk it. You said yourself that he's already starting to snoop around. This will end soon when I'm there. Yes, sir. What about the girl? What about her? He paused again, realization shadowing his face. You idiot. You think I brought her to kill her? I only thought, well, things are not so good lately. She's not going to die. Do you hear me? The sharpness of his tone surprised him. He wasn't used to getting riled up so easily. Got it, boss. We are getting married as soon as I land. I'll send word to her family, and they can move on from thinking any harm has come to her. Maybe we'll tell the boy, that boy she was supposed to get married to, too, if we can't kill him. His pessimism surprised him again. Wouldn't they try to find her if you reach out? There was uncertainty in T-Bone's voice. Have you always been this stupid? I wouldn't give away my identity. It will be a note with only a message. Yes, sir. Now, prepare for my arrival. How are the girls? He didn't care about their health at all. The question was an indirect way of asking how many were still alive. Tibone understood this. Two died last week, sir. I don't like wasted investments. We'll shed them right after the wedding. That would be all. I'll call you the day I fly. Yes, sir. Debayo rested his elbows on the oak desk and propped up his chin. He had come too far to lose. Whatever he wanted, he always got. He wouldn't allow the girl's family to rattle him with their investigator friend. That meant one thing was for certain. Jude had to go. They started coming up as I went deeper into the story. And I didn't want to write something so shallow that people would forget right after they finished reading. And I wanted to make an impact with the book, right? So I just decided to include all those things and then made a conscious effort to let, it, to let them blend into the story without sticking out too much. Um, I would say my surrounding class books that I have read. Mm-hmm. Yes. So my surrounding, that would be the Islamo prejudice and then the postpartum depression. I have seen several women with that, but they weren't really taken care of. They were told that it's a thing and it will pass. So they had to endure alone. And for the other things, the kidnapping too had to do with the country, like the kidnappings in Ghana. But then the other things, I just got them from books. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Um, you see how your president is your father? He's your husband. You know that you can role play at any point. So at this point, it's not even a level. I'm asking you a question for you. I'm so sorry. It's not saying her, her level has changed, but he can act in several capacities. That's what I want to say. Yeah. But you can ask so, her a question. So um, it's it's really hard to combine both, right? I, I don't know how to critique other people's books. Now that you have your book. When my you see, you see, now you for understand what you go through, right? It's hard. Like, it's, it's really hard because... Do you think that when you're hard on somebody's book, somebody would also be hard on your book? Um, not that per se, but then writing is hard, mm. right? So let's say the person didn't intend to make such and such mistakes, but then they did. So if you are bashing them for it, <laughs> yes. So, oh, I understand that. Like, but the point is that I tried my best with this book. Mm -hmm. Right, I tried to make it as perfect as I could. So if it gets out there and someone finds something wrong with it that I didn't intend at all, and then the person bashes, <laughs> it will be painful. Eh? <laughs> yes, and it it's hard to, you know read and then pause all that life is life in yeah yes but then but i'm still reading yeah let's talk about the fact that bad reviews have you read any negative reviews of your books yet and um, so the so far or oh, the only negative ones i got were from the arcs oh. and the yes what did it say how so, did you feel so um you know from from my experience with submitting poetry to literary magazines i have grown a thick skin when it comes to rejection yeah, yeah it doesn't yeah. get to me any longer yeah. unless you say something personal <laughs> i mean but yes it, it doesn't really get to me and the 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 bad reviews were also very constructive she should have done this she should have done that so i learned from those it wasn't like they were all out bashing me for writing certain things. Yes. Yeah, but I've seen your, your book on Goodreads. I've actually seen the ratings on Goodreads. It's 4.48, yes. which is very good. It's very, yes. very good. So this is a call out to everybody to please put add your ratings on Goodreads when you're done reading it. What it does is, is to boost her, um, her sales as well. So you think it's not doing anything, but in turn, it's it's doing a lot. But let's talk about rejection and writers. I, I feel like at this point, writers can take anything. Because when you wake up on Monday morning, we are sorry to inform you that. Just two days ago, I got a, reje a, a rejection mail. Even mm. from, 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 <laughs> from my late man. And how did you, know, you feel? You like your writing, your poetry but. is beautiful, but I didn't read the rest. <laughs> I understand you. I, I didn't read No, I just I just rolled my eyes and then I just closed them. You're like, so yeah. So why are you bothering to respond? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, so yeah. yeah. Is it more crazy when they don't respond at all? Yeah, that's even crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There's this one very known lit man. I think I know. I don't see. <laughs> I don't see. But then it's been six months. <laughs> 
Wait, wait, wait. Your rejection no will come. Or your acceptance No response. Why? And the thing is, they've started publication. Oh, it's like, actually a rejection in a really? nice way. Yeah. Sometimes I like the rejection mail. Sometimes I don't like them. Like this one, for instance, say something to. <laughs> yes, that's the thing. So you don't like the boasting part. Mm -hmm. You like them to inform you or break your heart. And I mean that I, I I've stopped reading all of the moments I see. Unfortunately, or bad. <laughs> I don't read the rest because why why should it I? it could be constructive criticism isn't that right yeah so i haven't i haven't gotten that from any I mean, there are several writers here now they will just say that while they like it they love your writing it's not best suited for them at this moment if you're a writer if you're a writer roberta is a writer nana writing <laughs> how is it going <laughs> so have you submitted a work to a mark or anything that you got rejected all right but then you realize that when your final work came out you saw a bit of your work in it mm. this is crazy you're telling me something i don't know i've not seen that yeah. a bit of your work as in they they stole no they, they reject your work and somehow get an idea from oh, your work i've heard this thing before I've, I've, I've heard it before, but I haven't experienced so me, it before. So when I submit a work and then you reject it, I'm looking at whatever work you're putting out. Oh, you're actually drawing my attention so to something. Yeah, I should do that. Wow. Wow. I never thought of it that way. Oh, sorry. Um, if you didn't get a publisher, would you have self-publishing? Yeah. I think so, that's a good question. I wasn't really... I considered both traditional publishing and self-publishing. And then self-publishing felt like so much work. Are you doing like, the marketing yourself? No, not really. Okay, so then it's off your shoulder. Because you have to do everything yourself. I mean, you are in charge of your finances. Everything comes to you. But still, if, if you don't really get good sales, you don't care of the cost. Mm. A lot, sorry. Mm. So then it's like, the books are there, nobody is buying. Mm. And we don't know what to do. But then right now, this, this was the money good? Was the, was the money good? <laughs> I knew you were coming. I knew you were coming. Was the money good? Oh, it it is. They are or oh, it was. They are. You finished US. spending it. It was. Did you hear say it was? <laughs> <laughs> they are a US publisher, so I was paid in dollars. So. It was good. Yeah. Yeah. Don't ask anyone. It's our money. It's our money. Okay. Any more questions before we wrap this up? You want to say anything? I mean, is there anything I skipped or anything we didn't ask or find out? Anything um, at all? Not really. Just that. Please buy my book. <laughs> <laughs> well, please buy her book. But um, I mean, before this is for the podcast. I'm sure most of you know her, but. You didn't tell us about yourself. What do you do where you're not writing? What do you do where you're not reading? Let's let's okay. find out more about you as a person. As instead of finding out about you through your books, who are you? What do you do? Okay. So I am a medical sonographer. And so sonographer. Okay. Yes. So I'm a medical sonographer. What do they do? And ultrasound. Oh, okay. So, Yes. Ah, no wonder the first person depression. It's not making sense. Okay. So when I'm not 
seeing patients or I'm not writing or I'm not reading. I'm watching sitcoms okay. or sleeping. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then do you, any chores that you love doing? Any that you hate doing as well? What's your favorite chore to do at home? I hate doing laundry. <laughs> what do you and love doing? The dishes. What do you love doing? I will take sweeping. <laughs> really? I will take sweeping. I hate yes. ironing. I wish I, somebody. Oh, I hate I ironing do. too. I hate ironing. See, hate if, ironing. if there's one chore that somebody has to do for me and I'll pay that person, it's, it's ironing for me. I will, I will cook, I will wash, I'll do anything. But ironing? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not so fast. Yeah, yeah I mean, no, like, anything that switched on the heat, you know, I'm I'm just not doing. And it takes so much time. Yeah, because like, like, why am I standing there? Just sure it's oh god, it's not. Whoever brought clothes, it's a bad idea. You are very see. I've seen levels of laziness, but you also said this happen because hey, thank you so much, Katari, for inviting us here and having this discussion with us. Is there anything? I mean, before we wrap this up, anything before. What do we have next? Book signing and then yes, book signing, book signing sales, pictures, sales and photos. I see some books are say I can spot you. You're not doing your work, Katia. You're not doing your work. So come and be taking the videos for your books. Thank you so much. Anybody that you would like to say thank you to, I thank think it's very important. Everybody. Oh, but everybody for coming. Yes. Everybody here for coming. Thank you. Some of you came all the way from Kumasi. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate you. And please buy my book. <laughs> That's the anthem for the twenty twenty four. Please buy, buy my, my book. book. <laughs> okay, but anybody you want to say special thanks to? I mean, parents, family, um, uh, people who say... helped with your writing journey. Oh yeah, go on. We have time. <laughs> I would say thank you to myself. First and foremost, for not giving up. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Important. Very, very important. Because I almost just kept this somewhere, mm -hmm. like the manuscript. And then I was like, maybe I should write another one. When I got the three rejections, I was like, maybe I should write another one. And then maybe I would have better luck with that. Mm. So yes, thank you to myself. And I give it up. And then for people who have helped with my writing my friend mariam she 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 reads everything i write actually before it goes anywhere mariam writes she reads everything i write she would read oh katari should have done this better she have done that better so yes my thanks to her too and then my siblings yes i I, I tolerate them most of the time, <laughs> but I love them very much, and I I hope they look up to me yeah. for yeah. all that I am doing. Yeah, yeah, yes. Thank you so much. Um, for yeah, for those of you who are here, this is going to be live on Books with Abna. Books with Abna is a podcast. It's available on all platforms. My producer, please wave. It's available on all platforms, right? So Spotify, Google Podcasts, and then Apple Podcasts. But thank you so much. You can find us books with up now on Instagram as well. But just subscribe, follow, share, talk about us. We have 32 solid episodes. It's not easy. You need to listen to my podcast. Thank you so much. Yes, and you can find me too on Instagram and Twitter. Abra, <laughs> <laughs>